In this episode, we dig into twin turbo V8s and we talk about Lexus and its competition with a very special guest this week on the Lexus Enthusiast Podcast. Hi everyone, my name is Kevin Watts. I'm founder of Lexus Enthusiast, and as always, here's Michael Panone. Hey Kevin, I'm good. How are you? Doing well. We got a jam-packed show today. We've <laughs> we've got somebody coming up in probably about a half hour. But we really just got to dive right into it. Uh, we're going to talk about this reveal this week of new information about the twin turbo V8. Or I guess the question is, is it a twin turbo V8? Oh yes. <laughs> The hook. Exactly. Look, when I was preparing for this podcast, you remember this, but we have been hearing rumors of a quote unquote next generation Lexus Turbo V8 with over 600 horsepower since 2000. Seven. Do you remember that? Yeah. So it was actually, it came from Mark Templin and he was in a dealership and they were talking about future product. I don't remember exactly what it was, but like, I remember at the time the way it was presented and like he was in a dealership and told a bunch of people don't worry, you know, more F products are going to be coming. You know, I remember specifically, it was like he made a six in the air with his hand and said that they'd be all over 600 horsepower. Yeah. So there have been quote unquote next generation Lexus turbo V8 rumors since 2007. Yeah. Over a decade. 14 years that we have been (laughs) sitting here (laughs) talking about Lexus V8s. You know, the current V8 debuted in the LS 460 uh, in 2007, and there's been a couple iterations of it. Uh, It also went into the GX 460, obviously, you know, the LX 570 has the same block. Yeah. And then the RCF got an updated version and the L C uses the same updated version with, you know, 468 to 472 horsepower. So yeah. it's it's lived a good life and it's been around. But I think a lot of us can agree that in terms of V8s, like Lexus really needs something new and is probably pretty past due. Oh, well, past due. Uh, yeah. When you consider that, as you said, we've been talking about this. The thing is, is there has been some movement on this in that last year before the pandemic hit, we were about to see a prototype race car, an LC, take part in uh, the 24 hours of Nurburgring with this prototype twin turbo v8 obviously the race didn't happen Mm -hmm. that also was coupled with rumors that the pandemic had killed development of the twin turbo v8 believe it was uh, mag x in japan right who said that this wasn't even going to happen anymore if you look at the history of it, you know, it started in 2007 and it's really lived this life ever since the LFLC concept was shown. And then the LC came out. And, and I think it's probably most notoriously been discussed with the concept of an LCF. Yes. And just like you were saying, I mean, I think that, that there have been LCF rumors for as long as the LC has been out. So that alone yes. is four years. <laughs> so, yeah. so for four years, it's been on and off. And then it's been discussed in the context of the LS and there being an LSF. It's been discussed in talking about the next generation LX. And then it's also been discussed if the LF1 Limitless comes to production. So there's been no shortage of discussion about this twin turbo V8. Do you remember, Kevin, even I think it was 2019, but there were spy shots of an LC that had like that LFA rear end with the triple exhaust and the spoiler. Yeah. Like that was the LCF, like a running right. prototype. There's no doubt yeah. about it. But ever since then, it's always been this back and forth of is it on or is it off? Is it going to happen or is it not? So when the information about this patent was published, it showed a an eight cylinder engine in the schematics and right. everybody looked at it and thought, oh, my God, there's four cylinders on each side of the cylinder bank. It's a V8. It's a turbo. This is it. This is the twin turbo V8. It's been confirmed. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Then as it turned out, actually, uh, a member of Lexus Enthusiast, he goes by Automotive Press, David Chow, I think is his name. He used to be a Toyota engineer. So he posted a video which specifically broke down that the patent was for engine lubricants and (laughs) like, you know, the way that fluids flow through an engine block and not actually a patent for a twin turbo V8. I know that breaks the heart of probably every 
every Lexus enthusiast out there. And it's not to say that it's impossible, but he made the point that when an automotive manufacturer files for a patent, you usually file it for as wide of a use case as possible. So everything from a four cylinder to a V8. And it makes perfect sense when you consider that, that they showed it in a twin turbo V8 format, whether or not that actually exists or will come to production is a whole other matter. We're back into a case where Lexus overplays themselves, where we're talking about things for so long that even if it was to debut tomorrow, it still feels too late. So I guess my feeling on this, I know that everybody jumped at it and was like, holy crap, it's coming. It's real. Based on the patent, that's not necessarily the case. And I think for me, it's just kind of another inflection point of does this engine make sense? And is it even really probably going to happen? So what do you think? Do you think the twin turbo V8 is on the table or it's off by now? I would say the applications we were most excited about, say the LCF and the LSF, I don't know. I don't necessarily know if it's a great fit for those vehicles now, just in terms of where we're at in the life cycle of those two vehicles. I know Lexus does tend to introduce, as they did with the GSF, a high performance version late in the life of a vehicle. I don't necessarily know that they're going to want to do that again, but I do see applications for it outside of the F brand for sure. And primarily I'm thinking the LX. I actually agree with you 100% that I think the best application for this engine and the way that it's going to make the most sense from a volume perspective is the LX. Yeah. But I'm going to hold you back to my question. Do you think it's going to happen or not? Yes or no? Yes, I do. (laughs) I don't think it will. Hmm. You and I have talked a lot about Lexus over the last 10 years and the fact that some product has taken a long time to come out or things seem delayed or restarted. It just feels to me like the moment for a new V8 has passed. And I think Hmm. that that's really unfortunate because I believe that like a Lexus V8 is one of the most important points of what Lexus has meant as a brand. And I'm not saying that that can't change because it obviously has to change with the way that the world is moving towards electrification. But when you think about some of the most infamous Lexus models, you think about every generation of LS prior to this one. You think about the SC430. You think about LXs. You think about the GS430. That V8 has been so much of what has made Lexus products so smooth and so effortless to drive and that goes 250,000 miles with no issues. You have products like the ES and the RX and things like that, which don't get the V8. But the Lexus V8 has always been like that quintessential piece of the Lexus driving experience specifically with the LS. I mean, even down to the original ad for the original LS 400, the champagne glasses on the hood. How did they do that? It was so smooth. You know, it was so smooth. Yeah. And it's the same way behind the wheel. Even now driving a GX, which is an older product with an older V8, it's a completely different experience than driving a V6. Like I will tell you, I think driving my GX is smoother than driving an LS 500 with a twin turbo mm. V6. Yeah. We should have really had a new V8 four or five years ago, yes. and it should have come out on the LC and it should have been in the LS. I've talked to dealers and different people who've said part of the reason the LS has not sold well is because it doesn't have a V8. And it's not because of horsepower. A twin turbo V6 is a great engine. I'm not hating on that, but it doesn't drive and it doesn't feel like a V8. It feels like a big version of the GRV6. Yes, it definitely has a different profile. There's just no way that a V6 is ever going to be as smooth as a V8. That's really what it comes down to. So as great of an engine as a twin turbo V6 is, it doesn't feel like a V8. There probably is a case here for a couple different tunes of a turbo V8. I think that they probably should have an LC 550 or an LC 600 with something like 500 horsepower, which isn't a whole lot more than 472, but it needs to have like 525 pound feet of torque more so than like 400. So like the LC does need that sort of engine upgrade to keep going in its life cycle. I think just as much, whether you want to call it LSF Sport or F Sport Performance or even LSF, I think there could be a 500 horsepower LSF And I think that you could even maybe make the case for a 650 horsepower LSF. So then again, we move over to the LX and it's like the LX, I think, should have a 450 or 500 horsepower option just because it's a 6000 pound vehicle. (laughs) So it needs it. And then when you even consider there's some applications for that engine outside of Lexus, and I go most directly to the new Tundra. Yeah. Ram has, I think it's TRX, which is their big V8. 
Ford is putting the big V8 in the next generation Raptor. And we all know that truck sales are crazy. So let's say that they took even just that 500 horsepower tune or they put the 600 or the 650 horsepower tune in the Tundra and that's the TRD Pro or something like the market is there. The case can absolutely be made. I just don't know that we're going to see Lexus do it. I base my assumption that we're actually going to see this twin turbo V8 on the fact that Lexus has trademarked LX600. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) To me, that seems like where we're going to see this V8 in the Lexus lineup. So I agree with you, but I guess here's my question. Would they go ahead and release a new V8 for one vehicle, like a brand new V8 for one vehicle. Because if you're going to do it at some point, it's going to have to go, you know, we're going to have to see like LC 600 or LS 600 trademarks. Right. I do think that if you take the Tundra, you potentially put it in the Sequoia and you put it in the LX and they also offer it in the Land Cruiser. From what I've heard, at least at this point, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a V8 option in the Tundra. I know that some people are expecting them to carry over or at least like keep a V8 from everything that is reported and that we know so far. It seems like it's going to be twin turbo V6 and then hybrid with twin turbo V6, which is great. But I still think just the way that the market is so crazy right now. Now, you know, whether they want to call it TRD Pro or TRD Pro something else or whatever, you could put a 600 horsepower V8 in a Tundra and sell it for $80,000. Like it, it happens yeah. all day long. Yeah. So, you know, to your point, you could put it in a bunch of other stuff too. I don't know about the Sequoia so much because I feel like the logical upgrade from the Sequoia, if the Land Cruiser goes away, is going to be the LX. So it's like, right. would you rather have an $85,000 Sequoia or would you rather have a $100,000 Lexus LX? Well, we already saw how that played out and now the Land Cruiser's gone. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I think there's an option here. The thing that makes me think about LX 600 is I wonder if they might do a stronger tune of the twin turbo V6, like a 400 50 or 475 horsepower version of it to counteract what I'm saying about the V8 being an essential part of the Lexus experience. I also have the theory that Lexus, you know, having historically been the hybrid leader and then now taking a lot of heat from Tesla and even other companies who offer more competitive hybrids than Lexus does. If Lexus brought out what we all refer to as the quote unquote 600H powertrain being Mm -hmm. twin turbo v6 plus hybrid i don't think even i would miss the v8 yeah where the twin turbo v6 really feels like a v6 is a round town stop and go it just like you have to rev higher yeah Yeah. and it's not as smooth so if you take that and you consider the low speed you know silence and smoothness of the hybrid and then you have the power of the v6 in the middle and upper part all of a sudden like you have a very v8-esque experience with a v6 and hybrid that's a very appealing combo it is totally that actually is what i would have preferred lexus do with the ls refresh i don't know i can still make the case for the lc having a v8 because it's a gt car but what more could you look for in a Lexus powertrain than a flagship hybrid system that was a next generation twin turbo V6 with batteries. And let's say it's like 500 to 550 horsepower. A powertrain like that might even make more sense for an LX. Like you said, that LX 600 trademark is a little bit of a wild card. You know, I wonder if Lexus would ever consider dropping H as a designator Mm -hmm. for their hybrid. Probably realistically, the future for Lexus is all hybrid. Yes. In terms of like as a transition to electric. Mm -hmm. I know there will be at least another generation of gasoline only vehicles, but, you know, they could potentially have LX 500 or LX 550 or whatever they want to call it. And then LX 600 is just the top of the line V6 with turbo. I just can't see them abandoning the, the V8 in the LX. I just can't see it. I don't either. I really do think that your central point, so much of Lexus and their identity being built around V8s, I think that if the IS500 is the last V8 new Lexus to be released, that would be a real shame. But also uh, a bit of a swan song in terms of circling back to the ISF and and, and whatnot, which uh, to me is, is one of the iconic of Lexus V8s, mm-hmm. obviously. So... I want to agree with you that I think they'll do it because if you look at it from a business case, you can make it. You know, you have LS and LC and LX and Tundra and Sequoia and potentially even if the LF1 Limitless comes to production, potentially that vehicle too. And again, I'm reaching far into my crystal ball here as I tend to do on this podcast, (laughs) but you know. 
in a world where we're going to be doing twin turbo V6 hybrids with 500 horsepower or something, who's to say that this V8 doesn't show back up in two or three years with a hybrid or a couple hybrid motors attached to it in something like a next generation LCF or even LXF. I think that Toyota's conscious of the way that the market is shifting and conscious of environmental impacts. So I think it's possible that they say this concept of turbo V8, let's keep iterating on it, but we're going to have to combine it with a hybrid powertrain in some degree to get at least, you know, 23 or 24 miles to the gallon or something. Yeah, absolutely. And, but at that point, you know, theoretically, you could be talking about a car with seven or eight or 900 horsepower, potentially with a hybrid system that would be putting it in the realm of like 20 to 25 miles of the gallon because, you know, it has batteries. <laughs> and like, it would that's, drive that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. But I think it's possible. Like maybe that's Lexus idea of what the last bit of a V8 looks like. You know, they're going to have to electrify it because that's the way it's all moving, but they might still do it. I think, though, that once they start bolting things onto their V8s, I feel like that's the point when they lose this talking point of naturally aspirated V8s and mm -hmm. how it's a contrarian idea within the, the market to continue to release these V8 engines. I think it dilutes the product enough that they can just start to do something else. Yeah. And I just, I guess I also just don't know if it'll be necessary. I mean, as hybrid technology gets better and faster and batteries get bigger and more efficient, if you take a 450 horsepower V6 and you strap two or three batteries to it, you can also get to seven or 800 horsepower that way too. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I wish that Lexus had given us that one last generation of turbo V8s before everything switched over. But at this point, you know, working on vehicles that are going to be 2022 model year, Yeah, the LS having no V8, the LC not having gotten an engine change, I think the last hope is LX600, just like you said. And if LX600 yeah. doesn't come out with some sort of V8, I'm probably going to be thinking it's over. Beyond everything else, that engine is going to be something new. Mm -hmm. And when we look at it, you know, BMW is still building V8s and iterating on it. And so is Mercedes for some of their AMG cars. And we know that those cars are moving to hybridization. I, I think that the competition is doing more with electrification and hybridization. So there might be an option for Lexus to still do the V8 with electric motors. So I don't know, Kevin, if we're talking about who has V8s and who doesn't have V8s and does Lexus need a V8, it's kind of a good time to bring in our guest and chat about how Lexus fits into the competitive landscape right now. Yeah, so I'd like to introduce Kurt Kreifels, YouTube personality. I'm sure uh, everybody in our audience has seen him, at least one of his videos on YouTube. Hey, Kirk, how you doing? Hey, great. Thank you guys so much for having me on. And I apologize. I'm just getting over a cold and my voice is <laughs> deteriorating. So just bear with me today. Yeah, no problem. I think before we get into talking about Lexus's place in the market, I think it'd be really interesting to just kind of talk about your YouTube channel, how that came about. So yeah, how did it start? Yeah, great question. I got into Lexus sales as a sales consultant in 2018. And at the same time, decided to make videos to help me learn about all the makes and models that I had to sell. The Lexus end of thing was just natural. And I loved learning Lexus. It was super easy for me. But the other brands, I'm like, well, I'll just make some videos, some walkarounds. And people liked that on the channel. And then over time, it's just grown. So COVID happened and I was still selling Lexus. And luckily, it's kind of a weird thing. They forced us to stay home half the time. And and that was a perfect opportunity for me to make more videos and the channel really grew. And luckily by that summer, July, 2020, I was able to quit and go full-time. But when I quit, I really focused on Japanese cars and now Korean cars as well, but that's a still smaller part of what I do. The Japanese cars, I kind of grew up idolizing them. Fast and Furious, Need mm -hmm. for Speed games, I'm just being a normal kid. So that's really the focus of my channel. And every single day I wake up and I look forward to talking about Japanese cars and, and especially Lexus because the channel really started with Lexus and it's like my number one. Yeah. So I was looking, it looks like you have uh, about 115,000 subscribers. What was like your big break in terms of videos? So it's been a slow grind as a lot of people in the YouTube industry will communicate that. But after I quit my sales job, a 
couple videos did really, really well for the channel that weren't related to Lexus at all. My best video in terms of views of all time talks about Yamaha electric motors and how they could potentially be in Toyota and Lexus products in the future because Toyota owns a portion of Yamaha. So that was this kind of one of those lucky Powerball situations where you have a video go viral and the channel, it doubled that month just because of that one Yamaha video. So I'm thinking, used to be a salesman, you know, we always like to talk about the Lexus buyer, the Lexus enthusiast. And I was hoping that you could kind of shed some light, you know, in your experience. So the dealership that I worked for uh, is a, was a Lexus Plus dealer at the time, Lexus of Omaha. And Lexus Plus was upfront pricing, um, mm -hmm. no fees, no negotiations. So it was actually pretty enjoyable to be a salesperson in that environment. The typical Lexus customer is very different than their main competitors. Mercedes, BMW, they typically have higher leasing clients and clients that are also more interested in performance. The Lexus buyer is oftentimes like a blue collar person who's worked hard and has enough money and they want to spend it wisely. And so the leasing rates on a Lexus aren't as high as their competitors, but their purchase rates are higher as a result. Because the people who buy a Lexus, they want a worry-free experience. They want luxury. They want comfort. Uh, they want an excellent experience. Lexus's slogan nowadays is experience amazing. And that's something that its competitors can't come close to. And a part of that is the Lexus vehicles are just built so well, they don't break down nearly as often. So it's, it's much easier to have a great customer service experience over a product that is just so well built. I wonder though, as we all know, Lexus has moved into a like more of a design forward philosophy with their vehicles. As you say, people who buy Lexuses are a certain kind of way, and that doesn't necessarily mesh with a design perspective. And it's a kind of a dichotomy. They focus on the design of a vehicle, and yet their major selling point is the quality and the reliability and the, the dealership experience. How, how did you find people in, in terms of the way that the cars appeared versus the way that they performed? Yeah, I mean, we know Lexus, at least recently, has been making very aggressive looking cars. They want to appeal to a younger audience as a result. Uh, but you get inside and it often doesn't feel like it looks. Not that that's a bad thing, because Lexus and a lot of these automakers, they, they need to cater to their audience and their their buying base. Uh, and we know Lexus has a ridiculously high loyalty rate. So if they just make cars kind of subdued on the outside, they're just going to blend into the background. They want to catch the eyes of potentially new buyers. But as a result, it can off-put long-standing or buyers that have had a long history with Lexus. I can't tell you when I was a salesman how many times a huge Lexus fan who's owned several Lexuses are like, I just can't get around to buying a Lexus with a spindle grill. To me, the spindle grill on a 2016 RX, it doesn't look the best in my opinion, but they've made it look so much better with the 2020 mm -hmm. refresh. And there's so many models that it's just kind of refined over time. It looks so much better now than when it did when it first came out. But a lot of those buyers that saw the spindle grill, they still see it. Even though it looks better, they're like, nope, I'm not going to buy a Lexus until that spindle grill is changed. And that's Lexus's identity. They're not going to be changing it anytime soon. And so I respect Lexus for that. And they also know that they need to cater towards a new market, a new buyer. And that spindle grill is a part of it. Um, me being a younger person, I love the spindle grill now. And when I think of the, the, the shift with Lexus, I generally think of their move towards more on design as opposed to, you know, what's under the hood. I think we've seen this dynamic play out some different times, especially if you look at like the RXF Sport and the ESF Sport, where people want a car that has the look of being something that's sporty or aggressive or, you know, like the dark chrome wheels and bigger grills and exposed exhaust tips. But the reality is what people want to drive is something that's smooth and comfortable and reliable. So like for an enthusiast, I know that sometimes we look at it and it feels disconnected. But I think honestly, if you just look at the like the success of F Sport models in general, like people are buying F Sport front wheel drive sub 300 horsepower RXs in droves and they love them. <laughs> so mm -hmm. like, it's working. Well, one thing I wanted to do, I just want to break down the numbers from last year, just in terms of giving some perspective. So last year, BMW was the number one luxury uh, manufacturer in the States. 
278,000 sold. Lexus was second, 275. And Mercedes was less than 1,000 units separated Mercedes and, and Lexus. And so you still have this huge presence in the market despite the relative age uh, of the lineup and not having as many models as either of those two brands. Two, three years ago, they were starting to get further and further behind the two German brands, and they've managed to really boost that up. I wonder, both of you, in terms of living in the States, what do you attribute that to? So we're talking about last year's sales, especially. We all know the pandemic happened. And I was still working for a Lexus dealer at the time. Lexus does such a good job at customer service and following up with the customer as well that I think that could have been one of the reasons they did so well at leapfrogging Mercedes-Benz last year is that the salespeople, as well as the service side of things, they go above and beyond. And they've been the standard in the industry for so long for treating the customer the right way. So I think that could have been a huge factor because so often last year, especially you weren't face to face with the customer. So you had to use a lot of new age ways to interact with the customer. And I think Lexus was already ahead of the ball game in, in that regard. Well, I think that's an interesting point. I think that the idea also during a pandemic, people want things that are reliable. They want things that are comfortable. And that would probably, that has to reflect in the way that people buy cars. I think Lexus always has a little bit more of a sensibility and an approachability compared to brands like BMW and Mercedes. Maybe I'm overthinking it because I think a lot of people on the street think of them all as the same, but I think there is a perception that Lexus is maybe not as high end as Mercedes and BMW. And so when you're in the middle of a pandemic and people are struggling and nobody knows if they're going to have a job tomorrow, something like an ES or an RX maybe sounds better <laughs> than something like an E-Class or you know an yes. X5. I think I did hear that from a couple people last year that I know who bought new cars, they kind of were like, yeah, you know, this is a great car for right now. And it wasn't super expensive and it's got all the features I wanted. So it just made more sense. Yeah. And I mean, that's fair. A lot of the success that Lexus is having is off the back of the RX and the NX. I mean, mm -hmm. between them, you're looking at almost 160,000 units out of that 275 that they sold. Over 50% of their sales are those two models. The other manufacturers just do not have two dominant vehicles in that way. And there doesn't seem to be anything that's going to be able to stop the RX. It no longer is the best-selling luxury car in the U.S. That's now the Tesla Model 3. But at the same time, Tesla is an outlier in so many different ways. It's really True. hard to, to put that in the perspective of a, of a traditional luxury manufacturer. You know, we're expecting the new NX this year. Really, it's going to be able to build off of the success that it's had. The segment that the NX is in is just massive. And I feel like that's where Lexus has a lot of room to improve against its competition. And the GLC sells a ton. The BMW X3 also sells a ton. And the NX, with the new redesign coming out this year, does have a lot to gain. You know, the rumors are saying, and it's been leaked, that there's going to be a plug-in hybrid of it. That's going to bring interest to it. So I think the NX for the Lexus brand is almost like a new jumping off point. If we look at the landscape and you look at everybody from Tesla to Mercedes to BMW or even someone over like Infinity or Acura, when you think about Lexus and you think about the person who buys a Lexus, like if Mercedes is the ultimate luxury car and BMW's slogan is the ultimate driving machine, where does Lexus fit in among all of that? It's an interesting thing because if you look at hybrid technology within Lexus, Lexus occupied a very tech forward position in the market for so long mm -hmm. based on on that technology. And then they seeded that to Tesla future technology. That was always what Lexus felt like to me back then. They were able to push everything forward, yet still manage to maintain their reliability. And I feel like that is Tesla now. Lexus decided that they weren't going to be able to build their brand strategy strictly off of reliability and their customer experience. They needed something else, and that's why they've gone so far with their designs. And I just don't know that's how I would define them now is the most design forward brand out there. There's nobody really within mainstream luxury that takes their designs as far as Lexus. That's a really good point. I don't think I've actually thought of it in that context, but I think you're right. I mean, to me, Mercedes. 
Mercedes design is always kind of cyclical, right? Like Mercedes has a decade where everything is really boring looking and it all looks like different sizes of the same shape, which I personally feel like we're at right now again. And then mm-hmm. it's always followed by a period of doing really dramatic things that really turn your head. And if I you're, I think you're right, if I look at it right now and I look at vehicles like the LC and some of the others, I think you're right that Lexus is probably taking the most risk with design right now. Now, when I look at a lot of the competitors right now, especially on the high-end luxury, Tesla, their designs are are very boring. There's not hardly any uniqueness to them at this point. Audi's kind of cookie cutter. They all look so similar. You can say the same for a lot of the other brands. Lexus, their designs are definitely provocative. And I think they actually use that uh, provocative elegance in, I think, their ES marketing. If BMW is ultimate drive machine, Mercedes is ultimate luxury. I think Lexus is now trying to be a little bit of both of that now. We know that they are absolutely luxury. They're comfortable. They ride better than just about anything else on the road. With their commitment to performance going forward, I know you guys talked about twin turbo V8, but it's very unlikely. More than likely, they're going to be doing it through electrified options, whether it's fully battery electric or hybrid. So I think they're going to be pushing the envelope hard for performance and cutting edge technology. Like you said previously, you know, with the RX hybrid, uh, RX 400H when it came out, you know, that was like a game changer in a lot of ways. But like they haven't changed that much with their powertrains since then or introduced anything entirely new, really. And Tesla's kind of swooped in like, hey, this is this is the next wave of new technology of powertrains and it can be very luxurious and sporty as well. Well, I mean, this is this is the the drum that I bang so often <laughs> is that Lexus went, they looked at the market, looked at how electrification was going to basically even out the playing field in terms of performance. And they decided the only thing that's going to differentiate the vehicles in the future is going to be the way that they look. Lexus, seeing that, deciding that in order to sell the most cars in the future, they're going to have to acclimatize everyone to Lexus being a design brand. And then once everybody has the same battery in the in the trunk, you have a situation where Lexus is so far ahead with their design that they're able to to capitalize. And I would imagine that this is their worldwide play. Um, I one thing that I don't think Lexus realized was how long it was going to take to introduce these new technologies. And I think that this period that we've been going through 2017, and I would argue probably until the new NX comes out, I think that this is a, definitely a lean period in terms of Lexus. And yet somehow they still managed to get cars off the lot and, and into people's driveways. So I guess this is an interesting point and you both hit on it, but I'm going to I'm going to ask you this question point blank and you can be honest with me. Do you think that Lexus being sporty in the terms of F and F sport is something that has worked? No. (laughs) What do you think, Kurt? I think it it depends in a lot of ways. F sport is very confusing to the customer. Mm -hmm. F in itself, I feel like we haven't had enough F products. The advertising hasn't been what it needs to be around F to sell it. In my opinion, a lot of people just, you know, we know AMG, you know, the BMW M, like they're so classic and it's like, well, Lexus has F they're like, oh yeah, there's the RCF crickets, right? Like there's nothing else right now. That's it. F sport. You can get the dynamic handling package with the adaptive variable suspension, but there's not really much more there in terms of performance. It's more of a design package. All it is, is you're deciding whether you want to look sporty or you don't. That's actually the exact reason that I asked. And so if you go to a Lexus dealership, you can drive everything from like, you know, an LS 500H to a GX 460, which are pretty old school, classic Lexus, comfortable cruisers or, you know, parked right next to it. You can have an IS 350 F Sport with the dynamic handling package. And I don't think that's a bad thing, right? More variety is good and Lexus has made it work. But if we sit here and we're trying to figure out, like, is Lexus a luxury car company or, you know, building sporty products, like not to say they can't do it all, but I feel like there's actually still a pretty big disconnect in the lineup. I think some of that's going to start to change a little 
little bit more as we continue to get new next gen products and they refine the Lexus driving signature. But if you look at current product, I would say I think they don't know who they are. I think going forward, I have a pretty good idea, I feel like, of who they want to be. Once you start taking things like battery technology and performance hybrids and plug in hybrids, it becomes a lot easier to make an RX or an NX or even an ES drive in a way that still feels complementary and like it tells the same story as an IS 350F Sport. Oh, I think that's what's so exciting about the IS 500 is that this is a a shift that really starts to say F Sport could potentially mean you're going to get more horsepower. (laughs) Yeah. I think the IS 500 is almost what F should have been. And I, and I, yeah, you know, when you look at fenders and wheels and big brake kits and all those sort of things, I almost feel like what we're getting with the IS 500, like you're getting a bigger engine, you're getting a couple little pieces here and there, but it's not like a full scale performance product, like an ISF or an RCF. I almost feel like that's what F should be because that fits a little bit better with who the rest of Lexus is. So maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe the rest of Lexus is going to evolve in a way that there are new next gen F products coming and the RX can do zero to 60 in under six seconds. (laughs) I don't no, like we just talked about with the V8 stuff, like there's still a lot of unknown and they're going to have to have some firepower to put in those cars to make that case, because if they don't, then they're just not going to F is not going to be seen the same way. I think Lexus is very much focused on the appearance of things. And I wonder, how do you sell F? There's something about it in terms of of just it as a brand. And I don't know if it's just a matter of time, but it doesn't have the same resonance When I was in Sebring for the unveil of the ISF Sport Performance Launch Edition, and it's it's like the longest name ever, and I'm sure, I think I already forgot 500 in there too. So they said that Koji Sato approved IS 500 F Sport Performance, and he's like, it's not going to be called F though. F is going to be much higher in performance. So they are going to be bringing new F cars. I just don't know when. I don't know exactly how they're going to do it. You know, the track edition of the RCF, I would say that's what I would probably call a full-blown F car because the wheels are a lot lighter. It's noticeably faster than the normal RCF. So I wish that was the normal RCF instead of a special edition that's really expensive and hard to get. We know they're doing F Sport Performance, and I think that's an excellent way for Lexus to go after the BMW M340i's, um, the AMG like C43s that are that sell in way higher numbers. They're not nearly as expensive or nearly as like track focused, and they are much more marketable. But it, it needs to be in their SUVs, and not having high performance SUVs is a joke. There are just so many different options out there for performance for SUVs. I mean, look at Genesis is bringing twin turbo V6s in their SUVs. Like an NX competitor has almost 400 horsepower. So it's like, Lexus, you're capable. We know you're capable. You can do anything you want. Give us some excitement. Oh, definitely in their crossover lineup is probably the biggest hole that they have, I would say. Not supporting your performance strategy within the best selling segments of the market really reduces your ability to tell a story around performance. So let me ask you a question. (laughs) If what we have right now was like a second generation of an ISF and we had an LSF and an LCF and an LXF that had the supercharged V8 they get in the Middle East and we were hearing rumors of like more new F products coming soon, I think we'd be sitting here like F is really badass. Like F is the best that Japan has to offer. (laughs) Yeah, reality is like because we don't have any of that. Like I'm like the GSF is a great car. I would actually say it's my favorite car I've ever driven. But, you know, we all know it probably really should have been GS 500 F Sport performance more so than GSF. And like Kirk was saying before, the RCF track edition is probably what an F car should be. So we talk about it a lot. Lexus does a lot of things right. But I think that understanding what this performance brand is supposed to be and what it means to people and how enthusiasts think of those cars is probably one of the biggest opportunities Lexus has. And I hope that they can do something about it where we have this conversation in three years and we're like, yeah, F is just as badass as AMG or M or RS. Well, we're talking about the twin turbo V8 this whole episode, but when you think about that, it's not really cutting edge. It's already something that's old. I guess I just feel a little bit like when we get to the age of batteries and everything being electrified, is F still relevant at that point? You know, maybe you maybe you can say that, okay, you go ahead and you take the car with a top spec battery and you call it F. You could do that. So here's here's a difficulty with F being fully electric is that 
Lexus, and you guys have talked about it on the podcast, they are very involved with racing with F. I think they would rather use their hybrid technology and they, they do it with their Toyota racing team too, with their, I think it's like their TS hypercar. I forget exactly what it's called. And, and they can prove like, Hey, you can have reliable supercar hypercar performance with a hybrid and not have to worry about your battery going out or not having the ability to refuel quickly. So I think that's just my gut feeling for F in the near future. And I don't think they're going to be giving us super high performance battery cars for a long time. I guess if you think not to like bring it back down, but it's, so it's, I mean, if we think about where Lexus is at now and where Lexus goes in the future, I still think that for right now and for the foreseeable future, I think that the Lexus buyer is a deeply practical person who just like Kirk said, cares about the buying experience. <laughs> like I had two friends in the last year who both wanted new cars and one of them had an RX, one of them had a GX. And I kind of said to both of them, the RX is going to get replaced soon. The NX is going to get replaced soon. You know, a lot of things in the Lexus lineup are pretty old and not exactly, you know, you're not making a cutting edge purchase here. And both of them and several other people I've known have all said the same thing, which is, I don't really care. I just want a car that's reliable and going to have a great experience. And they both said the same thing word for word, which is, I want a car that's never going to give me a problem. I don't want to have to make service stops. I just want to get the oil changed and keep going. And I think that's like the beauty of, of Lexus. And I think that says so much about the Lexus buyer. And then I think on the flip side of it, we were chatting a little bit before about like, you know, some of the outcomes from the pandemic and things like that. But I think that Lexus is still a deeply practical brand and not even in that sense of someone who just wants reliability. But do you need to spend $75,000 for an E300 when you can get an ES350 <laughs> for 47 that has most yeah. of the same features? And I so I think there's a person who's like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to go into the Mercedes dealership and I'm going to lease a new one every three years and not worry about it. And it doesn't matter to me what it costs because it comes out on a lease payment. The Lexus buyer is the person who's like a little more practical, but it's like, yeah, I like I want a nice car and I don't want to have to spend double or I'm not willing to spend double. And I think Lexus has won that middle ground of those people for a long time. And I think it probably will continue to, especially with products like the NX and the RX and things like that, that end up being a bit better of a value than the Mercedes or like BMW competition. It's the classic Lexus play, really. Yeah. It's everything they've always been. I just don't know how that value coincides with their push towards design. Those two things to me seem incongruent. They're not the same buyer, really, to me. I think it kind of actually works really well. And like I say that because across the board, there's more of an awareness of design now. And I think part of that actually has been like everything's got bigger wheels. Everybody is doing LED lighting differently. So it's like mm -hmm. you want to walk up to a car and you want it to feel special. Like, so I think that having a more premium design accomplishes that and it, it gives you the curb appeal and like the flash of saying like, I didn't buy a mainstream car. I bought a luxury car. But right. then on the flip side of it, when you get in it and you turn the key for, or press the button rather for the next, you know, 150,000 miles, the car is going to give you no problems. It's going to drive really comfortably, take care of you, keep you safe, and you're never going to have to put money in it for maintenance. Yeah. And it's going to be the same from the start to the finish. Right. And I think for an enthusiast, like we just were talking about with F, it's easy to get frustrated and be like, we have these F sport packages with no more performance and big grills and like dark chrome trim and all this mm -hmm. stuff. Like, why is there no more horsepower? <laughs> <laughs> so I get that perspective yeah. too. But if you think about it, the ES is a nice looking car at face value when you walk up to it. And then when you find out that it's $30,000 less than a five series or any e class, or it has all the features you want and you can get it for X price, it's like, oh, well, perfect. This is exactly what I want. I think that's how people buy Lexus cars. I think Lexus's hand is being forced in some ways in terms of keeping up. So Toyota just announced they had their report for the 2020 fiscal year. And one of the huge talking points, of course, was electrification, batteries, and their design philosophy around cars is switching from hardware first to software first. So we we talked so much about like, oh, you know, your your driving experience with the car is going to be the same, you know, day one as it is day three thousand. <laughs> you know, it doesn't change because Lexus they build their their cars so well. But if the car is going forward or so software based, yeah. 
they in theory could and should be getting better through refinements and the software helping the car perform better you know certain nuances with with cars especially with the software we all know and love and despise in some ways remote touch interface but if that can be modified or just the operating systems can be tweaked for better involvement as the years go on i think that's going to help lexus too but i think that's just the landscape of cars as well at this point Let's move into like a computer upgrade process now that you're able to to do so much even just over the air. And I right. think that they've talked about that quite a bit with, with the safety systems that they have in Japan. And then also, I believe it was a talking point with the LFZ in terms of being able to update it as they continue to refine it as a platform. So we bounced around from F to ESs and RXs and everything in between. I guess like one sentence, how would you sum up Lex's position among this competitive set? Kevin, you go first. Uh, I would say that it is the most design forward mainstream luxury manufacturer. Yeah. I would say that that's where they've decided to focus their energy. As I said, they've recognized that reliability is a, a central pillar, but it's not something that you can build a brand off of and that they see themselves as the most design forward brand available right now. Mm -hmm. Kirk, what about you? Well, if we go back to their slogan, experience amazing. That's their identity as a company in terms of the, the cars. I think they've just built that base. We, we set reliable. We've set that luxury expectations. And now this is the point in time where the brand out of all their competition is going to change the most towards new powertrains and performance and setting a new identity to the brand. I don't know how much longer Experience Amazing will be the slogan uh, as they become a more and more electrified brand. Well, that only leaves you then. <laughs> what do you think? I think that if I had to sum up Lexus, I would say that among, you know, Mercedes and BMW and even from like Genesis to Acura, I would say that Lexus offers practical, sensible luxury. And that doesn't sound like a very sexy or exciting thing, but there's always been an element of value involved in buying a Lexus. You know, they tend to be less expensive, but I also think that Lexus tends to provide all the things that you want and less of the things that are less important. Um, and I think it's that great Japanese sensibility. So I, I think that's how I sum it up. It's practical and it's sensible luxury. So we've been talking a lot about Lexus and its competitors, and I thought it'd be fun to finish this off. I thought we should all give our uh, top five luxury manufacturers outside of uh, <laughs> Lexus. Um, because I'm the one spearheading this, I'm going to go first. I'm going to definitely say that Mercedes is my number one side chick. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and that's, that's off the strength of the S-Class. I would say that Mercedes, to me, is not a full lineup thing. There's a lot of things that they do within their lineup I don't agree with. But based off the S-Class and the, the G-Class, another one of my favorites, that'd be definitely number one. Number two, I would say Porsche just because I want a 911. I would go Tesla. And then I love a Range Rover. Mm. I, I do love a Range Rover. But the last one, I would say Genesis because Wild I card. don't like their cars, but I love what they're doing. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> How does that work? Well, okay, so... One of the things that I loved about Lexus as I started to report on them and everything is the idea that they were just like, we just want to get into the luxury space and we're going to start building the best luxury cars that are out there. And I really feel like that's what Genesis thinks they're doing right now. And I'm not 100% sold. When I say I don't like any other cars, their exterior design, I don't think that they're there yet, but their interiors are just, I think they're fantastic. Not even an honorable mention to, to BMW or uh, Audi. So if Mercedes is Kevin's side piece. Uh, I would say <laughs> love and adore the Porsche designs. And now that I live down in South Florida, like they are as common as Alexis down here. It's quite insane. And man, we talked about the 911 just brief yeah. briefly. I still think, because I see LCs down here all the time, the LC looks better than a 911. I agree 100%. That's just my opinion. You know, obviously we're a Lexus podcast, so. I have this discussion with my dad all the time because he's thinking about buying one and he wants a 911 because it's a 911. And I am like, get an LC, get an LC. And I, 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 you can't deny the LC is a better looking car. I would say that the, the appeal of the 911 is that it's a 911. It's such an evolutionary vehicle that you really feel like you're buying into something bigger than a vehicle. Yeah, it's a culture. It really yeah, is. It's a culture. Like, it's a culture. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that was that's still my number one Porsche. 
Number two, I, I do feel like Mercedes-Benz is like their arch rival in terms of luxury. I, I have never been in a BMW where I'm like, oh man, this is super comfortable. It rides just like a Lexus. Mercedes, I can say that where it, they come so close to the overall feel of a Lexus, but they also have that high-end performance division where Lexus, as we talked about, F is not quite fully baked at this point in time. So I think Mercedes-Benz is still overall like the gold standard for luxury. Uh, number three, BMW. I hate to include them uh, just because like, I grew up idolizing the BMW, especially the 3 Series, but it's like I, I don't like any of their cars at all. Like I don't even like them from a design point anymore. So uh, Tesla, they offer performance better than all the brands I just mentioned. They are the automotive leader in terms of technology, and Tesla has a lot to teach the auto industry and vice versa. So I think Tesla still has a lot of room to improve in terms of build quality, reliability, yeah. craftsmanship, but they're an absolute whirlwind and force to be reckoned with. And lastly, Genesis, like I haven't driven the car, so I can't say uh, from a design point, I actually think they look pretty cool, especially the new G70. I really like how mm -hmm. it looks. the new G80 looks really cool mm -hmm. too. Genesis, however, is their own worst enemy. And the reason is they're trying to compete in a luxury game without a luxury experience. They are selling out of Kia and Hyundai dealerships. And that is ultimately their, their downfall right now. Otherwise, I would be very, very worried about them. But yeah, there's my top five. I'm going to break the rules because I really don't have like I don't have a necessary ranking of the brands because if I didn't buy a Lexus, what I would buy would be something different from each brand. If I didn't buy a Lexus, probably the first car that I would buy would be an X5. I know that you guys don't oh, like BMW. I, I have always loved the X5. And I think that I'm not going to disagree with you that I think BMW interiors aren't as special looking as Mercedes. I also think that their exterior design could use some work. But as a package, I have always loved the X5. Yeah, that's fair. You know, remember when the RX or uh, when the RX came out and it was like, all right, the kind of like everybody's mom wanted an RX and then... Yeah. Shortly thereafter, the M class came out and it was like, all right, that's the Mercedes version. And then they, when the X5 came out, it was like, OK, the X5 is like the badass. The, like if yeah. you're a badass, you have an X5. Yeah, so exactly. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it would be X5 in no particular order. The other ones would probably be a Panamera. I would love to have a Panamera. I, I yeah. didn't like the first generation Panamera, but I love the second generation one. Yeah. Um, I'm not actually a big Mercedes guy, but I probably would put the S class on the list just because it is yeah. such a great car. I'd put a Land Cruiser on the list. I know that Toyota is not a luxury brand, but I feel like the Land Cruiser gets a pass. Land Cruiser yeah, is a dream car of mine. allowed to break the rules with that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> and then I think... If I was if I was going to say, like, you know, if I was out there shopping for something reasonable, I would get an Audi A6. Hmm. Well, so all, I mean, that's really is. That's what I find with this exercise of talking about other manufacturers is that I could have easily done the same thing that you just did in terms of I'm really just picking specific vehicles out of the competitors lineups because I don't really feel as strongly about any one lineup as I do about the Lexus lineup. Yeah, it's not the same sort of dynamic. There are cars that I like potentially even more than, you know, a Lexus counterpart. But on a whole, I just I would never say that I was uh, an enthusiast of any other full lineup. Mm -hmm. No one mentioned Infinity <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> oh, man. And no one mentioned Acura. And I think Acura, actually, they've they found an identity recently. They've aligned it to more of a performance brand. And we know that their best selling vehicle, the MDX takes so many sales away from Lexus until mm -hmm. Lexus can bring the TX, that three-row crossover made in uh, Indiana. Yeah, The MDX is just such a great overall three-row luxury vehicle. I struggle with Acura and Infinity, and I think more Asian luxury brands is a good thing for Lexus because de facto thought is if you wanted luxury car, you buy German. If Acura was a lot stronger or Infinity was a lot stronger, because I think it would actually help Lexus in the long run. Mm -hmm. Like I think Acura definitely is in better situation than Infinity, but is that saying a lot? So like always, we've covered a lot on this podcast. We talked about twin turbo V8s, if they will or won't happen. We've talked about Lexus positioning in the market and the future of F and uh, how we all see the brand. So Kurt, thanks you so much for joining. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been great. I hope you feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
Yes, thanks everybody. 